Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast. This is episode number 193, entitled Helping People to Learn WordPress on YouTube. It was published on Thursday, the 20th of August, 2020. My name's Nathan Wrigley, and a few bits of housekeeping, if that's all right, just before we begin. WP Builds produces quite a lot of WordPress content each and every week. You're listening to the Thursday podcast. We do this each and every week. We rotate episodes where I chat to my friend David Wormsley and interview episodes where I chat to somebody in the WordPress space, plug-in authors, theme developers, that kind of thing. We also produce the WP Builds weekly WordPress news. comes out on a Monday at 7am UK time, just so that if you you are in need of a commute listen it's there ready for you and also at 2 p.m uk time we do the live version of the news on that news episode i'm joined by some notable wordpress guests and we chat about all of the things that have happened in the previous week of wordpress that's at 2 p.m uk time you can find that in the wp builds facebook group or at wpbuilds.com forward slash live. I'm also currently engaged in a topic of conversation which happens every Tuesday. It's all about taking WordPress plugins from zero to 10K installs. And I'm doing that with Sabrina Zidane. That happens in the same URLs that I just mentioned, but it's on a Tuesday at, well, usually 2 p.m. If you'd like to keep in touch with all that we do, head over to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. There's email lists to join. You can find our Facebook group in their YouTube channel, Twitter feed, and of course, the very friendly WP Builds Facebook group. It's all at wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. If you'd like to share the podcast, use at wpbuilds on Twitter and use some handy links available for you underneath the podcast player. But we do hope for people to spread it on Apple Podcasts because that's seems to be the platform of choice. Should you be in need of plugins or themes or anything like that this week, then head over to wpbuilds.com forward slash deals. It's a searchable and filterable list of lots and lots of plugins and themes that have been well, knocked down in price with coupon codes donated to us by the theme or plugin authors. So they're there 365 days of the year. I keep saying it's a bit like Black Friday, but every day of the week, wpbuilds.com forward slash deals. Also, if you've heard of a WordPress related job, head over to wpbuilds.com forward slash jobs. There's a form on that page and I'm hoping to just provide a free service where I can introduce people to jobs. So that's wpbuilds.com forward slash jobs and we could get that kick started. Also, if you have a plugin or a theme and you'd like to get it in front of a WordPress specific audience, well, we have just that. You can advertise on WP Builds. We do banner ads and audio inserts. You'll hear those in just a moment. And you can find out more at wpbuilds.com forward slash advertise. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoWP. If you're an agency owner struggling to grow and scale your agency, the team at GoWP can help. GoWP provides white label services to help WordPress agencies grow, and with their pricing, it makes doing things yourself seem pretty silly. Create your free GoWP partner account to learn more about their services and get free access to resources and templates to grow your agency, like lead magnets and landing page templates. Partner with GoWP and grow your agency. And AB Split Test. 
Do you want to set up your A-B split tests in record time? Like in a couple of minutes? Use your existing pages and test anything against anything else. Buttons, images, headers, rows, anything. The best part is that it works with Elementor, Beaver Builder and the WordPress block editor. You can check it out and get a free demo at absplittest.com. Okay, let's get stuck into the main content today, shall we? Today I'm chatting with a lovely chap called Paul Charlton. You may have come across his content on YouTube or possibly his website wptots.co.uk. His YouTube channel is also called WPTots, where he educates people like you and me in all sorts of ways. His videos are of the, the most admirable quality. He sweats the details and really puts in the effort to make sure he's giving lots and lots of helpful content. He focuses mainly mainly on Elementor, Breezy, a jet engine and also ACF, but he does stray into other areas as well. We talked today about how he got started, how much work is involved, how it's not a kind of get started and the crowd will come. There's, actual, there's actually some hard work to be done in here as well. So it's a lovely episode and I hope that you enjoy it. Hello there, welcome to the WP Builds podcast. Thanks for getting this far in. We are having an interview today. We uh, have an interview every other week. Normally we have an interview rotated with a discussion. And today we have something I think unique in the WP Builds podcast history because we, we don't have a developer. We don't have a, a WordPress plugin creator or anything like that. We instead have somebody that I came across on YouTube. So welcome, Paul Charlton. Good morning, Nathan. How are we doing, sir? I'm very good. Now, this voice may be familiar to you. If you if you ever go searching for YouTube tutorials about WordPress products, there's a good chance that YouTube's algorithm will throw Paul Charlton's content at you um, because he has a YouTube channel, WP Tots. Is that right? I know it's WPTots.co.uk, but is it WP Tots would be the way to find it? It would, yeah. I mean, if you go onto most things and just type in WP Tuts, it should pull up the YouTube channel, the website, and all those kinds of things. So should be easy enough to find. You uh, you did very well getting that domain. I would like the .com, but someone purchased that just before me, unfortunately. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, that's a bit of a disaster. But the, the content that um, Paul puts out is of a very, very high standard. Um, you've seen YouTube videos uh, thrown together by probably by the likes of me, for example, where it just feels like a bit of a tin pot effort. Well, Paul's quite different. He seems to seems to have a, a real interest in sweating the details and making sure that the edits are really good. But just going to rewind the clock. We'll get onto WP Tots in a moment. The audience always want to know a little bit about the heritage of the person I'm talking to. So would it be all right if we discuss your background how is it you fell into working with wordpress on on youtube absolutely you go for it i have no problem with that at all okay so when did you become interested in technology are we talking like were you a teenager at the time were you playing with the zx spectrum when you were a little and <laughs> Funnily enough, I did, yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing is, my background, my father was an electronics engineer, mm -hmm. so I kind of grew up around PCBs and chips and God knows what. So there was always something to play about with when I was a kid. So I had a, a real interest in the electronics side of it before the technology side when it moved over to computers and things like that. But yes, definitely started with the ZX Spectrum uh, and I say moved on from there. Yeah. And did you sort of study computer science or anything like that as an adult? Or um, Before we had this call, you mentioned something about print being an interest in your life. 
I did, yeah. Um, to be honest, I've been one of those people. I'm pretty much self-taught in almost everything. I mm. did go to college to study things like data processing and some computer programming and things, but very quickly found that that wasn't my passion. Looking at code really wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. So finding that out quite early on, one of the things I did was I wanted to get involved in the publishing industry, and I had a real sort of love of the printed words, the visual way of, of displaying information and linking that through to computers with, as um, you know, maybe some people will remember things like Quark Express and things like that back yes. in the day where that was the yes. platform to work with. Yes. Um, so, I mean, originally that's where I kind of started and I wanted to get into that side of things. So early on, the first business idea I had was to take a look at doing something along the print and the sort of layout side of things. So I went to adult education center to get qualifications to take a look at getting funding. Well, I found that I had a real knack for helping people. So the other educators in that adult education center sort of quickly picked up on the fact that I was helping other students, came across one day and said, you know, would this be something you'd be interested in doing as a more permanent career type thing? At which point I said, well, that sounds quite interesting. I'm, I'm enjoying what I do. So I went on, did my teaching qualifications, and ultimately spent 10 years then teaching adult education, bringing programs like Photoshop and Dreamweaver and other macromedia products. And if anyone can remember macromedia oh, before, yes, Adobe, yes. Yeah, before Adobe bought it and binned it. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I was teaching, you know, sort of director, doing animation and flash and things like that. So that's kind of where I started out and cut my teeth and then moved on to actually going from saying how to do it to putting my money where my mouth is and setting up a business where I was actually doing it. So I spent 11 years as a web designer, built my own uh, content management system, so learned how to use you know, rapid application development software and all those kinds of acronyms and rubbish like that. <laughs> um, and then ultimately moved on to WordPress when my CMS got to the point where it was more cost effective to look at another option and WordPress was one of those options that it was to go back and rebuild a version two and start from scratch again. So that's how my journey ended up taking me into WordPress as something on a more full time basis, whereas I just dabbled with it previously and didn't really like it. Yeah, it's interesting, like turning the clock back to that moment where you were um, you were a student, but somebody identified that you're actually rather good at teaching at the same time. I wonder how many people who are teachers get told to, you know, by somebody just observing them from the back of the room, oh, you'd be a good teacher. That's really quite an interesting observation. It led to, what, 10 years or so of doing that, and like you said, cutting your teeth. Um, and I think that's a really important part. People like me, who end up making these YouTube videos, I probably don't have the process required to do it, but I expect that to make a good tutorial video, there is rather a lot of process. There's a lot of deconstructing. You know, you, you've got the, the target in sight and you work backwards from there, um, I'm guessing. So you've had 10 years of figuring that stuff out in the real world with classrooms full of humans who want to consume what you say. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a perfect way of looking at it. You know, if you take some of the tutorials that I do and the more detailed tutorials specifically, there's an end goal. So my process starts by envisioning that end goal and then thinking, how can I reverse engineer that? And what tools do I need to build that on a platform like WordPress? 
then it's a case of finding the tools to fill those gaps that the things like Elementor and WordPress don't necessarily have. That's where you have tools like Advanced Custom Fields and Jet Engine come into play. And some of the ancillary plugins that give you specific features that you need, you know, that are missing in tools like Elementor Pro. While it's a fantastic tool, there are still some areas when it comes to dynamic content that it's a little bit weak in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, until those things are given priority and added into it, then we have to look for other tools that do it. Um, and I come across a lot of tools that now are daily tools, you know, that I wouldn't be without until they are patched in the core of, of Elemental, for example. So once you kind of look at it from that point of view, it is a case of there's the end result. There's all the tools I need. Now let's build it. And then once I've built it and the proof of concept, should we say, has been proved, then it's a case of going back to the starting point and thinking, how do I tell people how this was done yeah. without it sounding like a pile of acronyms and jargon and all those kinds of things. And something I was taught very early on in my teaching career back in the day where I wasn't quite as great as I am now uh, was never assume prior knowledge. And this, I think, is something that stuck with me my entire time. So if there's an acronym ever used, like I'll say ACF, I'll always say advanced custom fields or right. ACF. So then people, once you've put that in once or twice, it throws out the jargon and then makes the whole process easier and just takes those little barriers from from learning out of the equation. Yeah. Do you still do you still work with clients? Do you still have like a few of them ticking over, bubbling up in the in the background whilst you're making these videos? I do, yeah. I mean yeah. I split my time probably 70-30 these days between my freelance business where I still keep the clients that I've had for probably the last, you know, I've got clients from 15 years ago when I first started the the sort of the business side of things of building websites and things along those lines. So I still have a lot of clients from that period of time and ones that I've picked up through my career. And what's important to me is the relationship that you build. And that carries over into hopefully WP Tuts as well with not only the developers, but also there's a lot of, I can't say students, but there's a lot of people that follow you on YouTube and Facebook and things, and you see the same names. And I like to think that I kind of build up a rapport with people mm -hmm. as well, where if I can, I will always jump in and help. Um, and that's, that's just sort of a core thing that's that's in me. It's like, I like to build a relationship, and that relationship is an ongoing relationship. And my aim has always been, when I was you know, sort of building websites and doing the kinds of things on YouTube, is always... I want people to succeed. And if I can help them succeed, they'll keep coming back to me for more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's, a, I'm, I'm never in it for the quick buck. I don't care. You know, you could build a website and you can do a shoddy job and then you can just disappear. And I've had clients, you know, come to me and give me that sort of experience. And then they've worked with me. And like I say, I've still got clients from 15 years ago. So I'd like to think, I'm doing something right with that relationship building and that help and support. It's not always about money. Yeah. You know, it, it can just be that I want them to succeed. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. It's really an ephemeral thing. But that, the, the, the little monologue that you just gave about, it, it feels like it boils down to one word, sincerity. It feels like that would be a good way to put it. That That does come through in the videos and like I say I, I can't really describe how it comes through but after you've watched a few of them you can very much sense that okay this is authentic this guy really cares he's doing everything in a very careful manner you've obviously taken a lot of time to 
it with post-production. I imagine there's a quite a lot of stuff which has ended up on the editing room floor, as it were. And just the choice of words and the non-kind of how to describe it. Let's say that it's very common on YouTube to see a lot of people um, bigging things up because there is presumably at the end of that video some kind of financial gain. There's some quid pro quo going on there. And you just don't have that. It's, it's very calm. It's very measured. It's clearly been written and thought about. And I applaud you for that because I know just how difficult that stuff is to do. So bravo. Thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah, you're very um, welcome. You, you know, I've always been of the mind that, well, I was always brought up saying that if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Mm. So as you can appreciate, I probably get contacted multiple emails every single day by companies and not always companies that are in the WordPress space, you know, anything to do with web design, you'll get contacted by companies that have products that are surrounding that, that market. Um, and a lot of the times I will take a look at their product and I'll, I'll test it out potentially. But if I don't think it's something that a, my audience would be interested in, or it's not something that I think is of the quality that I would find, you know, deem acceptable, I won't put any content out about it. Mm. You know, it's, it's anything that I put out is stuff that I think is good quality and yeah. it fits, it, it solves a problem, fits a niche, expands the potential for people to do things. You know, I, I think we spoke about earlier on before we sort of came onto the, the podcast uh, about a little Chrome extension that I put a video out mm. on recently that mm. you said yourself you're using. And it's one of those things I just stumbled upon it. You know, there's one of the, the people I follow on Twitter says, oh, just tried out this little sort of like Chrome extension, loving what it does. I thought, oh, what's that then? Let's have a little look. So I tried it out and thought, what a cool little little extension, little sort of add-on for Chrome. Costs no money and, and does one thing really, really well. So I, I created a video on it. Was there any financial gain in it for me? No, not at all. Did I know the developer? Only afterwards when I put the video out and he sort of a little influx, shall we say, of people downloading his Chrome extension, and he reached out to me and was over the moon with that content. But mm. there was no there was no financial benefit to me doing that. It was a case of I just thought it was a really cool little product. And I thought other people in my space would find it just as useful. So I created some content on it. And I like that. You know, that, that's a big part of what the channel is about is just finding things that I think are cool and telling people about them. Yeah. It, it's called CSS Scan, by the way, and it's dead cool. Go and, go and, <laughs> go and get it. It's really great. Um, I was wondering, you, you mentioned clients that you've got like a 30-70 split. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if, the, if you'd ever, if the YouTube channel became something that was really supporting you financially and there, there was enough in that, do you think you'd ever drop the client work? And the, the reason I ask this question is I wonder if the content that you produce is informed by the client work. So in other words, if you, I don't know, you've got a, a real estate um, website video that you've got, which is really long and thorough. I wondered if maybe you'd had a client that needed such a thing. And so having clients gives you ideas for content because it keeps you up to date with what clients need. Uh, not so much the real estate mm. one, but yeah, absolutely spot on there. Um, I, I, I did think probably 18 months ago, if this gets to the point where this can be my entire career, would I stop working with clients? And I think the simple answer for me is no, I wouldn't. Not so much because of the giving me ideas, but it gives me a reason to keep my hand in and learning. Mm. You know, if you're in the, the, the web design space, regardless of what platform you use, you'll always have clients that come along and they'll say, this is my problem. This is what I need a solution to. 
then your job as a web designer is to go away and find a solution to that problem. Well, when you take out that, that process, it doesn't give you any real reason to keep on looking. Do you know what I mean? You, you right. just eat, oh, that's, that's a cool-looking new page builder, or that's a cool-looking theme, and you'll play about with it with no real direction behind it. So for me, and I say, no, I speak for myself, that's been a driving force in learning more, finding out what's out there, and just generally pushing my skills into new areas, areas that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of because it keeps the brain going, giving you a reason to look for solutions to real-world problems by paying clients. Mm. And whether they're paying or, or non-paying, it's not that's not the most important factor. It's just the need for me to look for solutions to keep my brain going and looking for new things. Mm. Yeah, nice. Good good answer. I think it's the same for me, essentially. Mm. Um, like to... I still like working. Well, sometimes I like working with clients more than others, but <laughs> you take the point. The um, the next question I want to do is sort of roll back the clock a little bit and go back to the beginning. Well, maybe it's not WP Tots because I know that you have various other YouTube projects. Uh, it's all very well looking back from this point where you've got a very successful YouTube channel. And I think you described it earlier as an overnight success, which took 10 years or something like that. The, the, there must have been a point right at the beginning where you were just doing it presumably for fun. You were just throwing these videos together because it was something that interested you. Or, or maybe not. Maybe you, you set out from the outset to, to build a channel. Just run through that with us. Okay, well, let me take you back a little further again. Um, <laughs> when I was teaching, uh, there was no such thing as, as lynda.com. YouTube was just, uh, you know, wasn't even an idea yet. And... When I was teaching people various different techniques like Photoshop and Dreamweaver at the time and other things like that, I wanted to have a way of being able to give them copies of all the, the material that I was putting out, you know, the training material, the instructional material, because students, by their very nature, you know, the dog ate the, the homework, they also ate the instructions. You know, there's always someone coming back and saying, I lost my so-and-so, can I have another copy? So that it makes more sense to put those things out there so anybody with an internet connection, you know, with dial-up internet connection, can um, can still access that information and get it wherever they are, whenever they want it. So I started doing that, and I created a website 20-plus years ago. Wow. And that was just basically starting off to put my content on there. That quickly grew then into its own dedicated Photoshop, Dreamweaver channel, and so on. Um and then I kind of struck up a deal with an American hosting company that for advertising, I would create videos and I would put adverts at the bottom of that, much the same as you see with YouTube these days, mm. promoting their hosting company. And in return, they would give me free bandwidth and free space. So I was then creating flash-based video content on how to do these techniques that I was doing in my written work for my students. Mm. So that was at the peak of its sort of time was hitting about 1.5 million views a month, wow. which was quite a nice figure yep. uh, because no one else was doing it. You know, it, it was really a new territory um, because the cost of it was so ex extortionate. You think about hosting back in the day then wasn't something like it is now where you can get it for pennies. It mm. was a lot of money and video bandwidth and things like that just were just crazy. So that's kind of where I started doing that side of things. And I, I then had magazines like .NET and mm. digital photography magazines and things contacted me to create content to go on their CDs on the front of their magazines. So I had quite a few different things back in the day then, 
but as life tends to sort of do, you you move on and do other things, and you move into to move away from the teaching and move into something else, and and kind of went on from there. So that's kind of where it all started. Mm. Um, what was the original question again? Well, no, it's interesting though because it you you had a real you know one point seven million um, views or whatever it might have been per month is just just breathtakingly large. So success in a sense right at the beginning, which which I presume allows you to think well. This can be done. It can be achieved, and I could replicate it again. So, yeah, the the original question was, especially regarding like your the stuff that you're putting out on YouTube, primarily around WordPress, whether or not it was the intention to to grow it, or was it just kind of like a labour of love? You know, I've done something today and I enjoyed doing it. Let's make a video so that other folk can benefit from what I've struggled through. Yeah, basically, um, I didn't really think of it as being a business opportunity to start mm. off with. I can remember to give you a little sort of just a little story. I was on a holidays when I first moved into the freelance inside of things and took the business to my home. Um, I went on holidays with my partner and we were there. We were taking bets on how long it would take me to get to 500 subscribers. I think I was on something like 300 subscribers. We were there saying, well, I think we're going to get to it'll be November. And I was like, oh, I think it'll be longer than that. Mm. And we just had a little bit of a bet going on. So it started off as being just a fun thing, you know, the kind of thing that if I found something that I thought was interesting, in much the same way, the channel hasn't really changed that much. It's still, I have a passion for this. I have a passion for not only learning, but sharing that information. So if I come across something much the same as we said with the uh, the, the CSS plugin, I just want people to know about it. I don't care about anything else. It's just, I just think there's a real, a great way, a great platform for us as people with any kind of reach, whether that's 300 subscribers or 3 million subscribers. I just think it's fantastic that we have this platform that allows us to get that passion and share it with people and let more people know about things that excite us. Because I can't imagine we're the only ones, just you and I, that get excited about a CSS extension for Chrome. No, sadly, sadly not. (laughs) Yeah. Go on, carry on, sorry. I think that, that, that has always been my sort of core, you know, the monetization side of things is lovely. And it means that I can do more. It means I can spend time doing these three and a half hour or two and a half hour videos on how to build a real estate website. And I can spend a week researching it, building it, reverse engineering it, buying the plugins that are needed to do it and, and all those kinds of things. So it's it's nice. It's an enviable position to be in. And I never thought I would be in this kind of position where I could take this as a potential career path. But at the heart of it, I just like showing people cool things. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Did did you ever have some sort of dip? Um, and what I mean by that is, we've all began a, a journey where you know the, the end goal is miles away, and we think, yeah, we're going to do this fabulous thing. And making YouTube content frequently, often, is could could be one of those goals for you. But presumably, a lot of people fall by the wayside. I mean, we've we've seen, haven't we? Presumably, friends, colleagues have embarked on YouTube video careers, and then you know, six weeks in, it becomes a little bit less interesting. Do you ever get any of that sort of stuff? Uh, periods where it was harder than it was easier. Uh, does yesterday count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, look, it's, it's one of those things that I think if you look into YouTube in any kind of fashion, especially when you look at some of the influence out there that are imparting information on how to become a YouTuber, how to build a YouTube audience and things, they will always say it's a seasonal uh, kind of thing. You know, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have those fluctuations throughout your entire lifespan. I've seen it. You know, yes, there's been weeks, months where you get up and you think, can I really be bothered to put 
you know, a day's worth of work into putting something out there that 500 people see. But the people that give up at that point are the people that will always wonder, you know, could it have been something more? Mm. Could it have become a career path for me? Mm. Or they just would have given up anyway because it wasn't as easy as, as glamorous as it appears to be. You know, like you said earlier on, the videos that I put out hopefully look quite polished. Yeah. But there's also a ton of rubbish behind the scenes. Those edits, those cuts, those things that don't work. You know, the time where you've spent an entire day recording something and then you find that all of your files have become corrupted and you've got to start again. That's soul-destroying. Especially where you think, I might make £2 off this. You yeah. know, it's like, I, I could literally go out and do a job. I could go work in a fast food restaurant for more money in an hour. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what it's about. You know, if you don't put the hard graft in at any point in any career, you know, it's a, it's a very small percentage of anybody that will be that overnight success that will become incredibly successful with minimal effort. Most people have had to do their apprenticeship the hard yard before they even get any kind of traction, you know, whether that's YouTube, freelance business, whatever. You have to take the rough with the smooth. And it's not always easy. But unless you stick at it, you'll never get to that point where it is a positive. It is something that you wanted it to be. And, you know, that's just part of life, I think. And, you know, unfortunately, it is life. Yeah. The 70-30 the split that you've got now seems like a really nice balance. But uh, presumably it wasn't always a 70-30 split. Presumably it was a 100%, 100% split. What I mean by that is, you know, you, you do, you're doing your day job, but you've also committed to producing a load of content. But that's all got to be done in time that could otherwise be, I don't know, playing golf or going out and you know, sitting on a beach or something. You've got to, you've got to commit to that. Was there a, a hard part in the middle where it, neither one thing nor the other was, was clearly going to be the direction you were going to take? Absolutely. Mm. Um, when I was still operating inside my business, where we had the business premises before I kind of split off and became freelance, I was putting in, on average, a 40-hour week in my business, which, again, was my business. So, you know, it's one of those things that if I didn't do the work, you didn't make the money. You know, so you, you've always had that. My mindset has been like that from teaching. You know, it's a case of, because it was adult education, and when I started that, it was all about if you didn't have classes, you didn't make money. Mm. So my, my, my brain has always been programmed to, you put the work in, you make the money. Mm. You know, and I don't get salaries then, should we say. Mm. So that's always been an easy enough topic to kind of work with. So when I was doing that, I was working at least 40 hours in my web design business with my clients and then coming home and spending at least 40 hours a week in the evenings and the weekends creating content for, at the time, three YouTube channels. Yeah. You know, so it was, yes, it was a hard slog. My partner wondered who the hell I was at some times, you know, I'd walk in the house and it's like, she thinks someone would try to break in. You know, it's like, <laughs> who is this strange man that I've never seen? You know, so... Um, yeah, you know, it, it is it is a hard slog. It is mm. something that you've got to put that time and effort in. And when you're doing that and you're making, you know, no money whatsoever because you haven't hit that monetization threshold, and even when you do, you know, and this is the thing, a lot of YouTubers go, oh, well, they, they changed the monetization threshold. It's like, yeah, but, you know, when that wasn't the case, you, you still made pennies. Yeah. You know, if you've got a thousand views, you might make two pence. Yeah. It's, it's like you're not missing much by not being monetized until you hit that platform, that level. It just means that, you know, you are putting the effort in and the hard yards in to get to the point where you can start to look at making money. Mm. You know, it's 
you've got to put those miles in. YouTube's not an easy path for anybody. Yeah. Well, unless you're, you're Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, well, I think all of life is uh, relatively easy now for Will Smith. But you've um, you've now reached that point. You've got um, a, a significant amount of followers. I'm not going to say what the number is because it's ab- absolutely going to be higher by the time that this uh, podcast goes out. So I've noticed it creep. Well, the creeping isn't the right word. I've noticed it going up quite rapidly, actually, over the months that I've been following. But um, presumably monetizing, you know, YouTube ads is is not the only thing. Um, before the call began, we mentioned that you've got a, a whole cornucopia, oh, lovely word, of um, of things going on in order to bolster the YouTube. I wonder if we could get into that. What, what kind of other things do you have so that if the YouTube seasonal dip happens, you've got um, you've got things happening which keep you keep you afloat? Yeah, I think anybody that that embarks on a YouTube type career or that's part of their career needs to make sure that they've got multiple revenue streams. And before I kind of went into the freelance inside of things a couple of years ago, that was always the business goal was to have multiple revenue streams. So I've got, you know, if I take it from my freelance business, I've got my annual hosting fees, your domain renewals, your retainers, as well as new client work and, and recurring client work, things like that. But then on top of that, when you look at YouTube, you've got to look at, yes, YouTube AdSense is a potential. But if you look at some of the channels out there, uh, they can make a good living with a couple of thousand subscribers because they've got a very niche audience, doesn't necessarily get massive amounts of numbers, but their audience is very targeted. And when you have that, you have companies that want to be put in front of that audience. Right. So then you have various different ways in which you can you can monetize that aspect. If it's an advert, for example, like a pre-roll or a mid-roll or a post-roll kind of thing, you can charge people for that. You know, you imagine if you were a business and you sell a very niche product and you've got a YouTube influencer out there with 5,000 subscribers and they all love that niche, then it's worth your while to be put in front of that audience because I'd rather be in front of 5,000 potential buyers than 50,000 viewers of which 1,000 might be interested in my product. Right. And I think that's... That holds true when it comes to WordPress as well. It's because you've got hosting companies that want to be put in front of anybody that builds a website. You then got, if for example, we're using Elementor, you've got third-party companies that have products that work and you know help Elementor. They want to be in front of your audience. You also have then companies that have products that they're not necessarily native speakers, you know, English speakers, but they want to be out there and seen. But because they don't have English as their first language or they don't necessarily have great support material that shows how to use their product, then they can come to someone like myself and we can sort of sort something out where I can create content for them, put that out there, put them in front of a targeted audience, Mm -hmm. but focusing on exactly what they are looking to portray about their product. Do you know what I mean? So you open up that audience that wouldn't necessarily be, you know, they wouldn't know too much about it because the product isn't being promoted as native, you know, English-speaking language and so on, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I think that's the same would hold true in this situation for podcasting. The, you know, the audience is very specific. You know, this is a WordPress podcast. The, you, if you're dealing with Joomla, well, what, what would be the point, you know, honestly, exactly. in, in trying to sp- speak to our audience? But, yeah, so the same applies, and that's interesting. You sort of follow that model. So there's you, you do offer things like sponsorship, Um in the video i don't know how youtube works do you have to sort of put that content actually inside the video itself so it's in there forevermore or are there options to sort of insert things as the video is played dynamically 
No, uh, YouTube is very specific about how you do this. Any kind of sponsored content has to be, you have to announce that within the first minute or two of the video. Ah, right. They also give you tools as well that if you say, when you upload a video, there's additional tools to say this includes sponsored content, which you can check that box. And underneath it, there's an optional box that says to notify your audience that it is sponsored. And what that'll do is that'll pop up a little box for say the first couple of minutes of the video, say it includes sponsored content. Mm. So by YouTube law, um, and by business law, probably in the relevant different countries, you have to make people aware that it's sponsored in any format, whether that's they've given you the product for free mm. or you're being paid to promote it. And there are various different ways in what you can do. Like you say, you can do those post roles where you just say, today's video is sponsored by company X, Y, and Z. And mm. if you want to find out more about them, visit you know xyz.com. Right. But also then there's other ways of doing things where, for me, one of the main ways that I utilize this is I will create educational content on how to use a particular plugin or theme or something like that. And if that's sponsored content, you say at the beginning it's sponsored, but there's no reviews on the channel. I don't review anything unless it's something that's not being sponsored and I think it's it's a product that I think you should know about. And I say, this is really cool. Have a look at this kind of thing. Mm. But anything that's sponsored, they're never reviewed never give an opinion. I just literally show you how to use that product. And then it's up to you as a viewer, whether you think this is something that's going to fit a niche in your business, or you just want to buy into it. I don't, I don't like reviewing because I think as a YouTuber or influencer, if you want to say it, you can have a lot of power in your hands and you can influence people into buying things. And I think if you abuse that, there's two problems. One, you make the quick buck. But two, you lose all credibility very quickly. Mm. And for me, in the same way with business, it takes years to build your reputation and minutes to lose it. Mm. So I would rather say no to sponsorship. I would rather say no to promoting something that I don't have any passion for, I don't believe in, than put it out there for that quick buck. Because if I lose my audience, I lose my credibility. I've just wasted the last five years of my life moving forward right you know that, that the, the thing that i was trying to grapple with earlier the i think i described it as sincerity i think you've encapsulated it there um the idea of reviewing things as opposed to just describing things you know here is a here is a product this is its name and i'm going to show you how it works whereas the temptation i suppose to make the quick buck is to this is a product. Look how fantastic it is. It can do this, this. You must go out and buy it right away and click on this link type of thing. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's maybe why I thought that your content felt sincere. I hadn't really put my finger on it, but that feels to be uh, what it was. Speaking of the content, do you have like a a big roadmap of what, what it is that you're going to produce? So, for example, do you know that the next month is going to be filled with, I'm going to make this video next week and this one the week after? Or is it more random and kind of it just washes over you up until um probably a couple of months ago there was a certain aspect of that shotgun approach Good. where if something was interesting or exciting i thought oh i want to do a video on that yeah and i would create a video and put it out and i don't think i would i would change that part of it because hopefully what comes across then is if i think something is good there's a passion in what i'm putting out there because I am passionate about that, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a service or it's a product or it's a plug-in or something. So I, I want to retain an aspect of that. But I'm in the process of rebuilding the entire WP Touch website because when I first built that, well, this iteration of it, should we say, I probably had like 75 tutorials on this, something like that. I'm getting close to 400 now. Wow. So the breadth of content has changed dramatically. 
And with that comes the problem of how do you organize all this content into some kind of logical fashion for the end user to know what the heck they're doing? Yeah. So I'm going back and I'm creating a more structured approach. So when you go, for example, to advanced custom fields, the section on the new website, when that launches, it'll say, okay, so you're new to ACF. Use the first videos you should take a look at. So it'll be, there's your beginner's guide. There's your step two of the beginner's guide. Once you've done that, then use the next three tutorials I recommend you take a look at. They're a, a logical progression. Mm. And then after that, it's a case of, well, there you go. There's all the other ones on ACF. You can pick and choose now what you think. So I'm going back to the drawing board, and I want to create those beginner progression routes. So it doesn't matter which way you want to go. If you start off with Elementor, for example, there'll be three stages to Elementor. There's the Elementor free. Then there'll be the pro version, which brings in like you know the pop-up builder and all those kinds of things. Then after that, you'll have one dedicated to dynamic content options inside Elementor Pro. Mm -hmm. So once you've kind of got those, then the next logical thing may be you want to look at advanced custom fields, or you may want to look at pods or jet engine. So each one of those different steps or sections on the site will have a logical progression route. So if you wanted to, you could go from knowing nothing about WordPress through installing it, setting it up, buying your hosting, right the way through to building complex websites like business listing websites, you know, real estate websites with tools like ACF and so on. So you have a massive array of directions in which you can go, but all the fundamental core skills will be there. So to answer your question, shotgun approach to start off with, and hopefully a bit more of a logical approach now. Yeah, so you know um, what's coming and you know what yeah. what you need to be playing with. And to, yeah, I, I suppose if you think about it, it, it's becoming almost like um, like a production company in a sense. You know, you've got to map out what you're doing and think about it carefully because more and more um, you're, you're relying on it. I was just wondering about the the fact that every I don't know in this case whether whether what I'm about to say is true, but there's a whole ton of material that you've put out which is clearly for free you know whether it's been monetized or not you can consume it all for nothing yep. do you do you have a like an, an aside because i know a lot of people who create content don't go down that route rather than free they they wrap it up in a course and they'll do all the um you know the funnels to get people to to purchase the course and so on and so forth i'm wondering if that was either a plan for the future or something that you in fact have done in the past and just decided not to do it so much it's a plan for the future. It's hmm. one of those things that I don't want to make, I don't want to remake the wheel. Do you know what I mean? So there's tons of people out there that have created. I mean, Dave Foy, which we were talking about earlier on, has done some fantastic paid for courses and his latest one was an incredible success. I don't want to go and just basically emulate what Dave has done. So I think my strength is definitely coming in where we create the more dynamic websites, you know, using tools like Jet Engine and Advanced Custom Fields and so on. So any kind of paid for content that I would want to put out would have to a complement my free content, which currently everything is completely free. It would have to have a real complement to that, but it would have to, in my opinion, be the next level. Mm. So, you know, once you've kind of hit that wall of, okay, I can create these kinds of websites, I really need to go further. That's where I would look at paid content. And it is something that's, that's in my future plans. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it'd be crazy not to. Yeah. Uh, but at this point in time, I'm still just sort of seeing which direction I want to go in with that and how I want to implement it and, you know, testing the market, getting feedback from my users. And, and I've got to be honest, it's only recently I've moved over into having a Facebook group for WP Tuts. Mm. 
and they have been fantastic. There's a wonderful bunch of people in there. It's a small group. It's only sort of like around 600 users at the moment. It's about three or four months old. But I would always rather have quality over content. Uh, sorry, quality over quantity, if I could speak today. <laughs> I think we know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been fantastic. They give me great feedback. If they don't like something that I come up with, they'll tell me they don't like something I come up with. If they don't agree with me, they'll tell me they don't agree with me. I love that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, I'm just a, a, a bloke in a room creating content that I think people will like. I don't always hit the mark. You know, there's been plenty of times I've been way off the mark. But you've got to you've got to learn something from every experience, everything you put out. You learn something from it. It's like, would I do that again? No. Did mm -hmm. I learn something from it? Yeah. Not do that again. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the definition of madness, isn't it, is doing a different the same thing twice and expecting a different outcome. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, the just just as before we began, I was talking about the fact that until very recently, my YouTube channel. If I sorry, that is to say, if I went to YouTube, if I typed in YouTube.com. Um, I would be inundated with WordPress content, uh, primarily from people like yourself. And then for some reason, I went down a different avenue and I started searching for something unrelated. And it didn't take long before YouTube had decided that I no longer wanted uh, WordPress content. It would be far more beneficial for me to have this kind of content. And I just wondered if that, that sort of... The, sitting inside of YouTube's algorithm in a, in a way that you do, if that kind of thing is a cause for concern. I know that you mentioned that you've got other ways of uh, gaining um, finance, but th the fact that it, it's so, um, it's so, what's the word? Fickle. Yeah, fickle, perfect. It's really fickle. For one minute, you could be everywhere for some particular person, and then the next minute, you've evaporated from their, from their YouTube, um, you know, YouTube searches. Does that bother you? Uh I don't really lose sleep over it, if I'm okay. brutally honest. Yep. Uh, I think it's one of those things that YouTube and Google, it's all about making money for them. So they are always put in front of you what they think that you want. So if you look for, you know, you do a search for a new guitar, a new PRS guitar, no hints there. Yeah, well, so if you look for something like <laughs> you'd start to get a lot more adverts then for your local music stores and different things like that. I think when you know that, you stop worrying about it. You know, most of the, the suggested side of things of YouTube is incredibly powerful. But if you rely on that, you build your entire business model around that, you can drive yourself insane trying to find out what Google and what YouTube's algorithm actually wants. And there, there are whole channels out there dedicated to trying to tell you what you need to do. But I think you've just got to get on and create content. You right. know, if you build your entire business around that one basket and put all of your eggs in it, you're ultimately asking for failure. Mm. So, no, I don't really worry too much about it. Yes, it's something that, you know, there's been adpocalypse has come up, and touch wood, I haven't really had too much of an issue with that side of things, but primarily that's because my channel was still pretty small and I was probably making a couple of pounds out of it anyway. Mm. You know, if something like that happened again, would it have a bigger impact? Um, I would, I would sort of question it because... Most of those issues that have sort of arisen in the past and, and the recent one with the whole sort of, you know, children's content and that's being demonetized and comments and things being turned off, it's targeting a completely different market to mm. what I tap into. Do you know what I mean? It's like as a web designer, you're not going to expect to see or, you know, someone searching for web design content. You're not going to expect to have problems with child related content or, you know, some some dodgy 
content coming up and then Coca-Cola going, oof, we don't want anything to do with YouTube because mm. they were never going to sponsor against me anyway. Mm. You know, so I think it's it depends on the market that you're in. It depends if you put all those eggs in that same basket. And ultimately, you should build a business around multiple different ways of making money. And then if one has a problem temporarily or permanently, you double down on some of those other things to improve what you can do there. Yeah. You've described how you had a, a, you know, this witty idea of getting to 500 subscribers was a thing. And obviously, it's been a while since you sub- surpassed that. But th- there's always going to be the next ceiling. There's always a, the number, the next number ending in a zero and so on. Does that sort of stuff still interest you? Are you still, do you, you sort of obsess about that or think, oh, it'd be nice to keep nudging this up? Or... In in lots and lots of videos, and I confess I don't know whether you say this or not. They during the video they encourage you to you know click subscribe and then click the bell. I suppose in a way that's a way of kind of locking people into your channel and they'll get your content as and when it's uh, produced. So anyway, the, the original question was, do you, uh, do you do you look at those numbers and measure yourself against the the subscriber count? Um... Everybody does that, I think. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a vanity metric. You know, at the end of the day, I want 100,000 subscribers. I want a million subscribers. Of course I do. You know, everybody does. Because then when someone says, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I make content on YouTube. Oh, really? Any good? Oh, I've got a million subscribers. It's like, oh, get in. <laughs> you know, but the reality of it is there's only one metric in YouTube that means anything to anybody that is looking to take it seriously. And that's watch time. Right. You know, the only thing you care about if, if you are serious about YouTube, is improving that watch time so more people are consuming the content that you were putting out there. That, mm. to me, is way more important than having 60,000, 100,000, a million subscribers. They're vanity metrics. Yes, you can get more people being notified about your content, but in the same way as Facebook, don't give that the same weight as they did several years ago. Not everybody that subscribes to your content is notified when new content comes out. It's mm. only a small percentage. Mm. So when you look at the statistics for your site, one of the most important things you look at, like I say, is watch time first of all. But then where does your actual audience come from? You know, is it things like off-site from your website? Is it through search? Is it through suggested? You know, it's where do they come from? And that, I think, is where you'll you be better off focusing your efforts than worrying about watching the subscriber count click up you know but yes we all do like that 50,000 yeah. or 60,000 or 100,000 yeah. I'll bet the do, do Google provide you or do you use third-party tools to to gather that information I genuinely don't know um, about watch time and what have you so do, do you have to go and explore that or do they send you a like a summation each month or is there a control panel or a third-party software that bolts onto YouTube or something uh, it's all done inside YouTube itself. Right. There's the YouTube Studio. Uh, and you can get the YouTube Studio app on your phone as well, which will give you the same data primarily, not in such a visual fashion, but it'll give you an overview and you can you can drill down into various different aspects then. So it'll give you that information about the number of subscribers you've had in a given month, the watch time in minutes or hours, you know, all those kinds of the number of views. And again, the number of views is less important because let's just say you've got a three and a half hour video and someone logs on there and they watch one minute of it, then it doesn't matter how long the video is. They've watched a minute of your quant- of your, your content. Mm. You know, So ultimately, you want them to watch more of that content. And that's where you focus your time and effort is trying to, to second guess what the end user, your potential viewer, actually wants to see and then answering it you know, in, in video format. Right. So yeah, all the statistics are out there and you, you can find that. And like, this is all part of YouTube and they brought up the YouTube Studio Beta, which is the, the, later, the 
the newest version of it, which gives you a lot of nice data in very much the same way as like Google Analytics right. does, but yeah. probably in a, a little bit more friendly fashion than right. Google Analytics. Yeah, charts and information comparing this month to last month and so on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I really didn't know about that. That's interesting. Just before we end, could you would you mind if we had a chat about the the equipment that you use? Because I, I bet there's a load of people listening to this who are thinking, I'd like to dabble in YouTube now. And although like I'm actually looking at Paul at the moment. We've got the video on, uh, even though that clearly won't end up in a podcast. Um, I can tell you that Paul's camera is exquisitely good because I can see every single part of him and it's in beautiful detail. I'm, invest- I'm guessing you've invested in your tech stack to make it as, I mean, the videos are lovely, really nice quality. What, what do you use? What's the software that you're using uh, to, to make these things? Uh, there's, there's a couple of things that I use. Uh, originally, I used to use Camtasia, yep. which is a great way of screen recording. But the problem that I found with that, this is going back a couple of years ago, was that you get syncing options. You know, as you were recording, the audio wouldn't necessarily be in sync with the video, oh, which was a bit of a problem. Right. Uh, so I moved over. I wanted another screen recording software. And I found a company called Movavi. And they do Movavi Screen Recorder, which... When you look at Camtasia, Camtasia was like about £280 for the software, which is, you know, when you're early in your days of creating content, that can be a massive expense for no return, if you know what I mean. Mm. So Movavi at the time was like about £30, you know, a tenth of the cost kind of thing, pretty much. Tried it out and found it a great piece of software. So I've been using that for the most part, but now because I use more uh, screen capture and doing... uh, you know, live capture at the same time, then I've moved back to Camtasia because it, it allows you to do that in two separate streams. So I can then edit and resize and do different things to the actual video capture separate to the screen capture. So that's the key thing that I use. But I use a combination back and forth depending upon what I'm actually doing. And then obviously you can use the Adobe tools like Premiere Pro and After Effects and things to do the different transitions and the different sort of lower thirds and things like that. When it comes to the hardware side of things, that's where I've got a bit of a, a problem. Uh, you know, <laughs> gear, gear acquisition syndrome or gas, I think, is, is the common term for it. So the, the camera that I'm using that you're seeing for this live stream, that's just a, a Panasonic G7, which it wasn't an expensive camera. I think I bought it with a, a crazy discount for like about £200 when it, came, when it was out. Yeah. Uh, but what I use for my main setup is I use a Panasonic GH5, which is what my main camera setup is. I use a, a sort of shotgun mic um, into a, a separate recorder, synchronize everything then with a great piece of software, which has saved me so much time, which is Pluralize 4, which is a red giant piece of software, which all it does is you literally just drop in your audio streams and your video streams, hit synchronize, and it synchronizes everything up for you. Oh, nice. And you just output that as an XML file and open that up directly in Premiere. So, and so if anything's out of sync, it just fixes that? Yep. Oh, that is nice. It's not cheap, but when you think of how much time it saves you, it's like yeah. I'll buy that every day. And they have they have a sale once every year, and I, I picked up in the sale last year, and I think it's like forty percent off or something silly like that's like I gotta have that piece yeah, of software. Yeah, yeah for the amount of time I'm wasting. Exactly. Things. So you know, it, it's a pretty. It could be a complicated setup if you wanted to make it complicated, but the thing you very quickly find, and I'm sure you're the same with the podcast side of things, is. Having 10 things to do one job is a nightmare. Mm. It's easy to have one thing that does that one job and just makes my life quicker and easier. And when you've got to put up content on a regular basis, 
and like I say, you're spending a week putting one video together. You don't want to spend two weeks on it because you complicate the whole matter. So anything I can find that streamlines my process is yeah. worth investing in. Do you do? Do you sort of like sound? Have you soundboarded the room or put lighting up or anything? So that I mean, I'm, I think you must have put lighting up. Otherwise, you've just got the most wonderful window position. I've got the most wonderful window position. Yeah, brilliant. No lighting. I've I've got lighting down there. I've got a, a big octobox down there. Right. Uh, but to be honest, I might use it for a slight bit of kick a light if I'm shooting in the evening. But I'm lucky we moved house about two years ago. And we've got a double-fronted house, so we've got a big bay window in each of the rooms. So my downstairs office, where I shoot 90% of the videos, is a big bay window right in front of me. So right. that's probably 90% natural lighting for all the video stuff that you see on there. Oh, nice. Um, I always say to people who ask about podcasting, you know, the, the, the gear question often comes up. And I just say, just use, buy something reasonably cheap, and I'm sure it's fine for audio and that's always been my advice for starting and I presume the same would be true for you if if you are thinking about putting out YouTube content whatever that might be you don't have to spend all this money you can build up to that over time and just start with something half decent to begin with absolutely I mean there's so much amazing equipment out there if you want to do YouTube you know if you want to do to camera kind of thing your phone is probably yeah. more than enough. The only thing I would suggest is always invest in some good quality microphone. Doesn't have to be expensive if you want to use your smartphone. Rode do some amazing microphones you can plug directly into that. They do, yeah. Audio is king. You know, f- forget about people will always give you leeway when it comes to the quality of the video. If your audio sucks, you've lost them. Yes. Unless you've got a message they can find nowhere else it's, it's going to change their life, they will go somewhere else. Yeah. So yeah. Start off with what you, you, the bare minimum, because the more you add to it, the more complexity you add to your, to your workflow. Mm. You know, get a cheap tripod, get a little camera mount that's like four pound on Amazon, pop your, your, your smartphone on it and just get a mic, like a wireless lavalier, a wired lavalier mic that you can just connect straight to your phone, put that underneath you, you'll get good audio quality, decent video quality and just use natural light. If you've got a decent window, stand in front of your window. Yeah, and you can iterate all of this over time, you know, as you as you oh, yeah. as you decide this is for you and you've got through the first 6 weeks or whatever and you haven't given into the dip, you can uh, exactly. you think I'll I'll buy some more stuff. Paul, is there anything that you would desire to say that I didn't ask you to about? Um is there any like I don't know, you may want to give us a URL or a Twitter handle or indeed just freeform ramble. It's entirely up to you. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, all I would like to say is, first of all, thank you very much for asking me to come on to the podcast. It's been a real privilege and an honor. Mm. And great to meet you as thank well. Thank you. Yeah. So, likewise. If you want to find out more about what we do or what I do, I keep saying we, but what I do, just simply go on to Google and just type in WP Tuts. You're going to come across both the website, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. All those things will be on there. Take a look at it. If you think it's going to be something you're interested in and I help you out, then my job has been done. Other than that, I think it's just that well, they're ready for you. I tell you what, you've done something right. If all you need to say is Google WP Tots and it will all come up, you've definitely done something right. Paul Charlton, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure of being here. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that. It was very nice chatting to Paul Charlton. I've watched lots and lots of his YouTube videos and it's 
really been inspirational. Awful lot of knowledge acquired in all sorts of areas where I have no expertise and it's very nice to just be able to watch a 10-15 minute video and get right up to speed about the latest things in Breezy, Elementor and so on. So thanks for that Paul, enjoyed that very very much. The WP Builds podcast was brought to you today by AB Split Test. Do you want to set up your AB Split Test in record time? The new AB Split Test plugin for WordPress will have you up and running in a couple of minutes. Use your existing pages and test anything against anything else. Buttons, images, headers, rows, anything. And the best part, it works with Elementor, Beaver Builder and the WordPress Block Editor. You can check it out and get a free demo at absplittest.com. Okay, like I said at the top of the show, we produce lots of content. We'll be back on Thursday, next Thursday that is, for another podcast episode. We'll also be back on Monday twice, once for the curated WP Builds weekly WordPress news, and then for the live news at 2pm UK time. And I'll be back on Tuesday, quite likely, to chat with Sabrina Zidane about plugins and so on. So join us, spread the word, stay safe, and I'll fade in some cheesy music. Bye-bye for now.